You're listening to the feed. This is the feed. This is the feed. The feed. You're listening to the feed. In Markham. In Richmond Hill. You're listening to the feed in Vaughan. In Stouffville. In Woodbridge. In Unionville. Welcome to a special edition of The Feed. I'm Ann Romer. Since last March, our show, our stories, our lives have been consumed by COVID-19. With frontline workers across this nation now beginning to get the vaccine, it's just a matter of time, likely next September, maybe earlier, that it will be available to the general public. But will you roll up your sleeves? Joining us from York Region Public Health, the Associate Medical Officer of Health, Dr. Richard Gould. Thank you for joining us on the feed and talking to us about the vaccine. I'm delighted to participate. So making headlines recently, a new strain, a new variant of COVID-19. Can you explain the significance and should we be alarmed about this? Well, I think we need to be cautious and there is a lot of work being done to study kind of what this variant means. It's not terribly unusual for any uh, virus to have small mutations or various mutations that can occur, make slightly change, slight changes in it. It may not mean much in terms of um, how sick it may make you or whether or not it can evade immune processes, et cetera. I mean, this is all being looked at. There's concern that perhaps it's being more easily transmitted, but there's lots of other factors that could lead into that, such as just what we already know about how it can be transmitted from crowding and people gathering together and things like that. And if this is happening, that can contribute to the speed of transmission, et cetera. So basically... A lot of caution, a lot of study going on, looking at the genetic material of the virus to see uh, what's changed and, and how, and, and then looking at uh, what the actual um, impact might be. I wouldn't say there's any need for panic. There have been a number of restrictions immediately put in place to stop that variant, that new strain from coming to our shores. <laughs> Some, though, feel that it's already here. Well, I've heard that speculation. Uh, They don't know for sure. Now, both at the national level and the provincial level, they do have uh, samples of um, the viruses have been isolated from people over the last few months, and they are looking at that to see whether or not that genetic change is present um, from those isolates already. And they they continue doing this. This is an ongoing program where they track the the genetic uh, material from the isolates uh, that are... uh, coming from the various labs around the country. So they're tracking that on an ongoing basis. And and looking back from what they've got, they'll see whether or not that variant has been here, and they'll be looking forward to see if it suddenly appears. Will the drug companies who are uh, at this point waiting to be approved by Health Canada, so I'm thinking of Moderna, AstraZeneca, maybe Johnson & Johnson, will they go back to the drawing board while they're waiting for approval to see if there's something they can do to change the nature of their vaccine in order to deal with a new strain? Well, I think they'll think about what the implications are for their vaccines, but um, I don't think they would go back to the drawing board per se. Um, they just they will actually be assessing what information is coming out from the genetic work uh, on these uh, um, um, new variants, and then looking at how that might impact the. Uh, part of their vaccine uh, that actually contributes to the immune state of uh, the person who's received it. So they'll, they'll be looking at that very carefully. 
I suspect it won't. I mean, there seems to be some speculation now that it's probably not going to impact on immunity uh, from the vaccine, um, and they'll be following that very closely, obviously. Having just mentioned some of the drug companies with vaccines waiting in the queue, so when the time comes that the general public will have access to the vaccines, will the general public also have the choice as to which vaccine maker they would choose. Mm-hmm. So would they have the option of, of Pfizer or Johnson & Johnson or Moderna or AstraZeneca? Uh, well, I guess that's, that's unclear at this point. Um, I mean, it's very theoretical because we don't have these other ones licensed yet. The first one that I guess the next one coming along, we have the Pfizer one that's already out and that's being provided to uh, staff at long-term care facilities. But now we have Moderna that's probably going to be coming out in the next couple weeks or week, Um, and it's probably going to be used mostly for the long-term care facility residents. Um, And then as the other ones are licensed and they come out, um, and there's more information about how they may I guess how effective they are, uh, whether they're the best solution for different people who are at risk, like if you're immunosuppressed or something like that, uh, is one better than the other, that sort of thing, is there one better for certain ages, Um, and then um, uh, depending on the availability of these, then there'll be determinations about, uh, recommendations about use, and there may be possibility then that you might have different ones that you may select or your, your health care provider or public health may help you uh, select which one. But again, this is all extremely theoretical because these ones actually have not been licensed and they haven't actually been reviewed by you know, a body like the National Advisory Committee on Immunization, which provides these recommendations on the best use. So we'll wait for that to, to provide advice to, to people about what they may choose and what they may get. Dr. Gould, tough question. Will people have the right to say yes or no to the vaccine? Oh, definitely. And we'll be highly, highly recommending it uh, for all the reasons why, you know, what we've seen, what COVID can do, uh, but it will not be mandatory. All right. Well, fasten your seatbelt, Dr. Gould. Coming up next, your questions for the good doctor. Do you have a story idea for the feed? Call us at 416-335-1059 or email info at 1059theregion.com. Ann Romer and more of the feed coming up. This is 1059 The Region. Welcome back to The Feed. I'm Ann Romer, and joining us from York Region Public Health to tackle your questions about the COVID-19 vaccine is Dr. Richard Gould, Associate Medical Officer of Health from York Region Public Health. Thank you for staying with us, doctor. You're welcome. So our first question comes from Sylvia. I'm Sylvia. I live in Oak Ridges, which is part of Richmond Hill, and I have a lot of questions, side effects. I'm a senior. I'm going to be 77 in a month, and I'm concerned about side effects and future side effects, not just immediate side effects. The the side effects are pretty similar to all age groups. Uh, Seniors might have uh, be slightly less likely to have a reaction. and the most likely one is actually pain at the injection site. Um, 
many other vaccines will do that, but it's quite common with uh, this new vaccine, or at least the Pfizer vaccine. That's the one we know about right now. Uh, and then there's other ones that, um, uh, that we call systemic reactions, which uh, uh, are more overall, and that's things like a headache, fatigue, muscle pain, chills, joint pain, that sort of thing. They tend to be very short-lived. Uh, they last for a couple days sort of thing. They can be uh, improved by uh, Tylenol or ibuprofen or something like that just to, for comfort. Uh, but they're short-term, and they will disappear quite quickly. And I'm going to add a little to what Sylvia just asked. Uh, you, she had mentioned seniors, but what about for the general mm-hmm. public and those who might have pretty severe allergies in their everyday life? Is there an issue when it comes to the Pfizer vaccine? Well, certainly with any vaccine, uh, if you've ever received it, uh, uh, if you've ever had a reaction to that particular vaccine previously and and an allergic reaction, a serious allergic reaction, you shouldn't receive it again. Um, So obviously, most people have not received this yet, uh, but say, you know, the well, Pfizer vaccine, for sure, it's two doses. So say you had a severe allergic reaction with the first dose, then it would be recommended that you not uh, have it with the second one. There also was um, um, some concern about those people who might have serious uh, allergic reactions from other uh, products, uh, vaccines or foods and things like that. But it's not said the the recommendation is not to receive it, but to discuss it with your healthcare provider just to see um, whether or not it's worth. You know, they think that it would be safe for you to go ahead and get it. And you know, if they think that that's possible, then there's certain precautions certainly that can occur. I mean, they have medication in terms of a severe uh, allergic reaction that's ready, and also the observation period after you receive the vaccine might be a bit longer, just to make sure that there's no untoward effect. Okay, Dr. Gould, we have your next question. My name is Carla from Aurora. My question is, uh, both my children are in the public school system, and I've got exemptions for them for previous vaccines. Um, Will that exemption still be applicable, um, or will I have to get a new exemption for this vaccine for COVID? Well, you wouldn't really need an exemption because exemptions are really in the context of uh, schools, so uh, where um, the, you know, you're required to have various vaccinations for vaccine-preventable diseases in attending school or for daycare, that sort of thing. But that's not going to likely be the situation here at all, so you won't need an exemption. Uh, it's your choice whether or not you want to receive the vaccine. Next, we have a question from Vince. I'm Vince from uh, Thornhill. How many times will I have to be vaccinated? Well, we know right off for our first vaccine, Pfizer and probably and also Moderna, it'll be two doses to start with. Um, And the evidence from the clinical trials and various things show there's about 95% effectiveness uh, with those two doses. How much, how long that uh, protection will last? Then that is going to be monitored on an ongoing basis, and then will be determined whether or not booster doses might be necessary into the future. Um, that's not at all unusual with new vaccines. We've had over the years many new ones coming in, and at first they don't know uh, whether or not boosters might be needed or not. But from their ongoing monitoring, they can determine that. And then if it looks like boosters are necessary, then that recommendation would be provided to everyone. 
So I'm going to skip ahead to a question from Marco from King City, following along these lines. Yep, name is Marco uh, from King City. Question is, once vaccinated, how long does the vaccine protect you for? Is it months? Is it years? And how do we have proof of that? Well, we don't know at this stage because the vaccines are new um, and they're... The evidence they have is based on about two to three months of follow-up in those trials. So they know it works for that long. Um, they, as for longer term, we don't know. That's just what they call What will happen is they'll be monitoring studies for people who've been vaccinated into the future to look at their immunity and, and how long it lasts. And based on that evidence, this will be ongoing and uh, then they'll determine whether or not uh, additional doses may be needed to continue with longer-term protection. So I have a question for you, Dr. Gould. I see parallels between uh, the COVID-19 vaccine and vaccinations <coughs> and also the flu and the vaccinations. So every year, a different vaccine is put together for the flu based on the strains right. that are emerging from the other side mm -hmm. of the world. Is there emerging now similarities with the COVID-19 vaccine that it will be studied each year or at a certain length of time after a certain length of time and altered based on the strains that are showing up in places around the world or where it originates? And that would be something that would be part of that ongoing monitoring. Um, influenza and COVID are quite different viruses. Um, so there might not be the same tendency for COVID to mutate the same way that uh, influenza does. Uh, very different kind of genetic structure and various things and reasons why flu, vac uh, flu viruses change so much year to year. Um, but that's all part of that. Um, ongoing surveillance and monitoring that's going to occur uh, once the vaccine has started to roll out. So we'll be looking at, uh, uh, you know, how long does that protection last? Does it change because of some new variant of the uh, virus? And you know, we were talking earlier about how there seems to be some slight change in terms of the genome or the genetic material of the virus uh, more recently. We'll be tracking to see if there's anything like that that occurs into the future and whether that means that there needs to be some sort of reformulation or, or, or modification of the vaccine going forward. Uh, but that's all kind of that monitoring that will continue into the future. I mean, it's a new virus, um, and there's lots to be learned about what it may or may not do over the years. The efficacy rate for the Pfizer vaccine, for instance, is about 95%. Is that similar when it comes to the flu vaccine each year? I'm hearing that that efficacy rate is about 65%. And what does that mean to the average individual like me? Well, the flu vaccine, you're right. I mean, the uh, flu vaccine is uh, ge well, generally less effective, although it will vary depending on what strain of flu virus is circulating and the match with the vaccine. That's a, an important factor. Um, it also is related to your age and to underlying medical problems and things like that, and it's less effective uh, for those who are much older or have uh, uh, severe health problems. Uh, what's fortunate, though, about, say, flu vaccine is it might only be about 60% effective in terms of preventing flu, but it can be far more effective, up to 90% or so, in reducing hospitalization and death, which is incredibly important. Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, uh, there, there are... Um, 
it definitely is an issue with flu vaccine. At this stage, uh, it does not seem to be the same kind of issue uh, so far that we've seen from the trials with the Pfizer vaccine. It's 95% effective, and actually people who are older uh, were included in the trials, and they, they are um, similarly affected in those age groups. Next, we have Sophia with a question for you, Dr. Gould. My name is Sophia. I'm from King City, and I'm just wondering if the vaccine will um, be mandatory in terms of travel. Well, that's another interesting question that will come up. Um, I don't know whether it'll be mandatory, but uh, it's possible that some countries might uh, put put in place requirements for vaccination to travel, to enter their country, etc. That really hasn't come up in terms of um, any any hard fast positions yet, just because I guess the vaccines are are so new and no one no one's really received it to any large extent. But it could occur. I mean, it, we see with um, with other vaccines and other uh, diseases that that's required. And one that you know springs to mind is yellow fever. And some countries require travelers to have yellow fever vaccine in order to travel in those countries. Whether that will occur with um, this particular, with COVID and with this vaccine, that remains to be determined. So here's another really good question from a York Region resident. Hi, I'm Rosa from Vaughan. I'd like to know, does the vaccine uh, prevent transmission? And again, thanks for uh, asking that. I guess another question that is being looked at, we know that it, uh, from the, the clinical trials, it creates immunity, um, but you can still be immune and, in theory, uh, have um, uh, an asymptomatic, no symptoms uh, infection, and the virus could be present in your in your nose and throat uh, and be transmitted. We don't know that yet, but, again, that will be studied. Um, many other vaccines, uh, once you have immunity, it tends to suppress uh, the likelihood of transmission onwards. That's typical of a lot of our, well, most of our vaccines, if not all. Um, it may be exactly the same with this particular vaccine. It's just, it's so early on, we don't know. But it is, again, something that can be, will be checked um, with various studies uh, to see whether or not infectious virus does, uh, is, is present in people who have been immunized. And so we'll gain more information as this vaccine rolls out and further studies are done on it. We have an email question from Jason in Markham. He would like to know, Dr. Gould, if after the first shot of the vaccine, is he contagious during that time before the next shot? Will masks remain in place after both shots? Uh, well, there's two, que- two parts of that question. Uh, you wouldn't be contagious because of the vaccine. Uh, the vaccine has nothing in it that would actually cause a COVID infection. It's just actually prompting your body to make uh, antibodies uh, to protect you. In terms of your protection, um, again, because of the questions about, you know, with people who have been vaccinated, can they still transmit the infection? Uh, What percentage of the population has yet to be vaccinated and still could catch COVID? Um, And it will be generally recommended that you continue, you wear your mask, continued until 
we get to the point where we have a sufficient immunity and we can be able to show that people who uh, have been received the vaccine are not transmitting. You're also going to need it between the first and second doses for sure because you're only going to have incomplete protection uh, after the first dose. You need two doses to, have, to reach that 95%. Uh, it'll be a lower level of protection after the first dose. Um, so a number of factors there, but you certainly won't be infectious yourself because you've received the vaccine. That's just not how the vaccine works. We have a question next from Michaela. And my question is how um, the public or public health is going to go about instilling trust in the public if the vaccine is so new. Well, we can provide a lot of information based on the experience from the trials, uh, from the evidence from there, and the fact that they haven't had any really serious problems with it. The other thing that will continue is what they call post-market surveillance, which means that any adverse reactions or uh, unexpected uh, things that occur among people who have been immunized will be tracked by public health, both at the local, provincial, and national level, and internationally as well, to follow that. Um, We'll provide information just to let people know more about how this vaccine was developed and the trials that were uh, in place and the safeguards that were put into the licensing process. We can share all this information with people so they have a better understanding of of, of what was involved and, and how their health is being protected through these mechanisms. Uh, but we definitely will be, you know, will provide that information to try and, you know, to increase people's confidence in, in the, um, not only the effectiveness, but the safety of this vaccine. And I'm going to ask you this final question, Dr. Gould, and I'm asking you this as a, as a person, as a, as a father, as a, as a human being, uh, not as a doctor necessarily. Mm-hmm. Are you optimistic that this is exactly what is needed at this point, the fact that the vaccine has been rolled out and is in the early stages of uh, being administered to people around the world? Yes, well, from the information we have about how effective this vaccine is and what we know about how vaccines can make a huge impact on any kind of viral illness, um, feeling very confident and optimistic that this will make a big, big change and that over time we'll get away from being worried about uh, COVID and wearing masks. And, and I guess what really, really excites me is it's, a, it's, it's likely impact in terms of protecting the most vulnerable. And we're really looking forward to this rolling out in the long-term care facilities where, you know, a tremendous toll on illness has occurred there. Um, so, yeah, we're really kind of excited and optimistic about this. And, uh, I mean, personally, I would have got the vaccine yesterday if I was eligible to get it. But I'll have to wait in line with everybody else. And your family and friends, would you say to them, go for it? Oh, Definitely. Based on the evidence we have uh, and what COVID can do, um, I would certainly say that it's, it's highly recommended. And certainly for those who are particularly vulnerable uh, due to age or other conditions, extra, extra valuable. So definitely uh, well, well advised to get this vaccine. Hmm. Dr. Richard Gould, Associate Medical Officer of Health from York Region Public Health, thank you so much for taking the time today on the feed. You're most welcome. Coming up after the break, planning the vaccine rollout. This is The Feed on 105.9 The Region. Follow us on Twitter at 105.9 The Region. Ann Romer and more of The Feed after the break. This is 105.9 The Region. (laughs) 
Welcome back to the feed. I'm Ann Romer. Joining us next to talk about the logistics and the rollout of the vaccine is Zara Kassam, Director of Healthy Living for York Region. Welcome to the feed and thank you for being with us. Thank you. So what exactly is your job? What's your role as the Director of Healthy Living for York Region Public Health? So um, in non-COVID times, as a Director of Healthy Living, I support um, programs that relate to chronic disease prevention, such as school services programs, as well as a variety of programs, about 15 to be exact. Um, But with COVID um, right now happening in the pandemic, my role is different. So in the emergency response, I'm actually an operations chief for um, vaccines, for the COVID-19 vaccines. So we've been at this for a long time, uh, since last March, and I know that you were active in this prior to the declaration of the pandemic on March 11th. How do you get yourself up to speed when it comes to this? How do you know what to do with something that is so foreign to all of us, this pandemic, this COVID-19? So I think in York Region, we have an amazing structure, our IMS incident management system structure, So from the very beginning, we've been holding daily calls that our medical officer of health, Dr. Kareem Kurji, holds every morning um, with with our health emergency operations center where we get an update from him about his thoughts, questions he poses to us. In that call, we get a planning update, and each of our sections chief also provides an update, whether it's related to supplies, our HR uh, staffing needs. Um, We work with our partners who are also on the call, like paramedic services, so a lot of direction is received through those calls. We also have close connection with the Ministry Emergency Operations Center, uh, where they have a designated mailbox where we can ask questions. And with the vaccine rollout, they have various working groups that I am a part of, um, depending on um, what's being discussed. So let's talk about the vaccine and its importance in all of this. So we have uh, been living with COVID-19 for 10 months, a little bit longer than that. How important is the rollout of the vaccine to our future? So I would say it's extremely important. Um, We've been in this sort of standing phase uh, with a lot of prevention that we're trying to get the public to practice. Uh, But with the promise of the vaccine, we can hopefully move forward to ensure that the public is uh, safely vaccinated in order to reduce the transmission of the vaccine and perhaps see days where it used to be prior to COVID-19. So, Zara, who's going to get the vaccine first? That's a great question. So, um, over the next several months of Ontario, um, the early doses of the vaccine will be given to residents, staff, essential caregivers, and other employers in congregate living settings that provide care for seniors and other vulnerable residents, including long-term care homes and retirement homes. In addition, um, healthcare workers, hospital employees, and other staff who work or study in hospitals, as well as adults and First Nations populations and adult recipients of chronic home health care. And so the approach and the groups chosen as first priorities are designated by the federal and provincial government. Will people have to go to the hospital in order to get the vaccine there have been rumblings out there that some would like to see even pharmacists being given permission to administer the the vaccine. What are what do you know? 
Yeah, so with the first vaccine that's been approved, Pfizer, unfortunately, due to storage and handling requirements um, for use in Canada, it needs to be stored at uh, a certain level, which is um, only hospitals have the capability of storing these vaccines in their ultra-cold freezers. Um, So with that, the decision was made to um, have staff vaccinated first because they would need to come to the hospital to receive the vaccine. What we're hoping for is with the next uh, approval for another vaccine, it could be more transportable where we can actually get it into the arms of those priority groups I mentioned. And are there groups that at this point should it, should have to go to the back of the line or should not at this point be eligible for the vaccine? Are there certain pockets of the population or age groups or stages of life that the vaccine is just not a prudent and, and good idea? Yeah, so at this point, um, we've been told that the vaccine is not conducive for those that are under the age of 16 years of age, as well as those who are pregnant um, or breastfeeding. Uh, so we're hearing that they are working on uh, a vaccine or hopefully some solutions for these age groups, as well as um, uh, there's been recent conversation about those who have severe allergies. So we're waiting to hear more about what we can do uh, with those individuals to support them. Zara, there are at least four drug makers that are rolling out vaccines, that three of them still have to be approved by Health Canada, but Pfizer has been approved. There will be then a variety of of vaccines for people to have or to choose from or to be told that they're going to have. What is your role at York Region Public Health in terms of of giving people the information that they need so that they are comfortable with whatever vaccine and drug maker they end up having as an inoculation? So here at York Region Public Health, along with uh, I'm sure other health units very similarly, we work very closely with our health, health system partners on the rollout and administration of the vaccine, including working with the province of Ontario, the Ministry of Health, Ontario Health, our local hospitals, local long-term care and retirement homes, and other groups such as York Regional Police and York Region Paramedics. So uh, York Region Public Health will be involved in many roles for each COVID-19 vaccine in collaboration with the partners mentioned above. Um, And for more information, and so what we're doing is we're gleaning the information from credible sources and making sure that we're we're posting it on our web pages so that um, the public and those who need to know get the information. And for more information on COVID-19, in your uh, COVID-19 vaccines, York Region, you can visit the website, um, which is york.ca slash COVID-19 vaccine. So, Zara, we have some great questions from York Region residents. Let's begin with Mateo. Hi, my name is Mateo. I'm from King City. Uh, the only question I have regarding the vaccine would be um, in terms of the government's ever going to release, like, any statements on estimations, like, when we're going to get back to normal in terms of, like, workforce and schooling. Hi, Mateo. We are still in the early stages of the COVID-19 vaccine being approved and distributed in Canada. And so it's important to continue to follow the public health guidelines. We do have a long way to go, but the approval of a safe and effective vaccine does give us hope for the future and reminds us that this is temporary. There are better days ahead. So Zara, my question to you as the Director of Healthy Living, how do you tell people and, and let them comfortably know that the vaccine is in your opinion, York Region Health, uh, public health opinion, 
it's a good thing. There are some who are a little bit nervous about the vaccine and maybe a little reluctant to roll up their sleeves when their time comes. So we take our guidance from um, various levels of government and we have confidence in their um, their research and their practice and their approvals through Health Canada um, to indicate that this vaccine is safe and and will do its job in helping to protect against COVID-19. And I feel very confident um, about the um, effectiveness of this vaccine. And I would be rolling up my sleeve as well. And next we hear from Maria. It's Maria from Richmond Health. And my question is, how is the vaccine rollout going to apply to children as well as the average everyday person? So the COVID-19 vaccine is approved for use in those 16 years of age and older. Its safety and effectiveness in people younger than 16 years of age have not yet been established. Additional studies need to be completed before a COVID-19 vaccine will be approved for use in children. As vaccine doses are currently limited, they are being administered to identified high-priority groups first. So, as I mentioned, over the next several months of the Ontario Immunization Program, the early doses of the vaccine will be available for residents, staff, essential caregivers, and other employers in congregate living settings that provide care for seniors and other vulnerable residents, as well as healthcare workers, including hospital employees and other staff who work or study in hospitals, adults in First Nations populations, adult recipients of chronic home health care. And as well, the Canadian government anticipates that vaccines will start to be available for widespread public use in the spring of 2021. A COVID-19 vaccine will be available for free for anyone who wishes to receive one with plans to complete Canadian vaccinations by the end of 2021. So, Zara, the next question was actually asked of Dr. Gould earlier in the show, but I think it is worth repeating, and it's a question from Carla. My name is Carla from Aurora. My question is, uh, both my children are in the public school system, and I've got exemptions for them for previous vaccines. Um, Will that exemption still be applicable um, or will I have to get a new exemption for this vaccine for COVID? Well, Carla, the COVID-19 vaccine will not be mandatory, but it is recommended to protect yourself, your family, and your community. So if people are worried uh, about the, having the vaccine and asking questions about it, who can they turn to to get some better understanding and really even some comfort uh, when it comes to asking hard questions about the vaccine and whether it's right for them? Yes, there's a lot of information out there, but um, for credible and trustworthy information about the COVID-19 vaccine, we're very pleased to provide that information on our website as well, which is york.ca slash COVID-19 vaccine. And what you're doing right now, which is answering these questions of our York Region residents here on the feed on 105.9 The Region, and you're doing a great job. So the next question is from Jason. Here it is. Um, I'm Jason from Richmond Hill, and uh, I'm going to university, so will I have to be vaccinated? So universities are able to set their own immunization requirements for students when attending in person, and there are currently no requirements for COVID-19 vaccination set by universities. So we have a question here, and it is a very straightforward one. Flu shots are annual. Will the COVID-19 vaccine be yearly as well? I believe we're still waiting for more information about um, the future requirements for COVID-19 vaccine. So I don't have that information at this time. 
Zara, there was a recent Angus Reid poll that said a majority of people asked expressed confidence in the federal government's ability to effectively manage the vaccine distribution. What is York Region Public Health's role in the vaccine distribution? Well, York Region um, has a strong role in vaccine distribution, even outside of COVID-19, where we have uh, flu campaigns and um, we are in the business of, of distributing and administering vaccines. So with COVID-19, we are here to meet the needs of our residents and um, we have preparing plans to um, actively respond to a large-scale mass immunization campaign. We have several working groups comprising of staff from across the region who are working together to immunize York Region's 1.2 million residents. And we want to work in partnership with many partners that we engage with to help uh, with the distribution and administration of the vaccine. So we have a strong role to, to play and we want to be effective and efficient in this work. Earlier this week, the first recipients of the vaccine were given the shot at uh, several locations within York Region. So was York Region Public Health involved in that? Yes, they were. So with Health Canada's approval of the Pfizer vaccine for Canada on December 9th, um, several hospitals across Ontario received the vaccine. And within York Region, that would be um, Mackenzie Health and South Lake. And we are working very closely with them to support their needs as they immunize healthcare workers of long-term care and retirement homes at their hospital settings. Zara, are you optimistic? As the Director of Healthy Living for York Region Public Health, are you optimistic that we may someday, thanks to the vaccine, go back to life as we knew it? I am. I, I, it's taken some time, but at the same time, time has passed by quickly. I can't believe we've been in a pandemic for the last 11 months or so, I do see light at the end of the tunnel. And the answer is the vaccine, as well as continuing with our public health measures related to infection prevention and control. And I really believe that we can get there if we um, do all do our part. I want to thank you for your hard work and your great answers. Zara Kassam, Director of Healthy Living for York Region Public Health, thank you for joining us on this special edition of The Feed. Thank you very much. Well, that's it for the feed all about the vaccine. Thank you so much for your great questions, York Region. And thank you for your insights, your expertise, York Region Public Health. If you missed any part of our show, go to 1059theregion.com. I'm Ann Romer. Thank you for listening.